Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Esquivel-Campo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. This week, we're joined by Mike Hill, sportscaster, TV personality, newlywed, and author of the memoir Open Mike. Today on Run Tell This, Mike shares details of his star-studded wedding to Cynthia Bailey and the challenges of being married to a real housewife, plus his advice for black men in taking care of their mental health. I want to hear about the wedding. And I'm, you know, I'm the only lady here. So I'm thinking that I'm speaking on behalf of all our female listeners. I would love to hear about the wedding. I adore your wife. I think she's one of the most beautiful women on the planet. You're a very lucky man. How was the wedding? Uh, the wedding was phenomenal. It was good. We were um, so worried because we were trying to be as responsible as possible when it came to, mm-hmm. you know, the COVID-19 situation. And we knew it was going to get a lot of flack about it. But we did everything possible to make people feel protected uh to make us feel like we were being responsible when it came to that type of situation so we gave them everything from the masks to the shields we provided all kind of uh, sanitizers throughout the night we had people enforcing the rules whatnot we gave them everything except the damn vaccine to make them feel possible (laughs) and we were very transparent about the situation about how many people were going to come there uh but everybody had a good time and the great thing about this situation is we got married we had a good time people had a wonderful time as well coming to the wedding and nobody got sick. Amen. It's been a month. A month today, as a matter of fact, is our month anniversary, and not one person from that wedding got sick. So we 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 th- we're thankful, very thankful for that. That's great. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Although I got smoke for you. Smoke. Cause you my dude. Yeah. My dude. My dude. My okay. dude. Okay. My dude. We should get it in in the gym at ESPN. Uh-oh. The whole lot of shit at the cafeteria at ESPN. The whole lot of shit all over the campus at ESPN. Yeah, this big ass wedding, man. Yeah, all all kind of things, all kind of things, all kind of things all over the wedding. I wasn't at that motherfucker though. <laughs> well, here's here the thing, smoke, bro. You, smoke, you, smoke, you, right? you been moving around so much, man. We ain't know how to get in touch with you. Like your ass has been like in a you know witness protection program. You you are correct about that. I I did intentionally. <laughs> Drop I mean, off like the map for, for you, a little you bit. left from Connecticut to I don't know where you went to. Where did you go? DC, New York, I was, somewhere. At, I was in Atlanta. Atlanta, um, you've been all yeah. over the place, man. So you know, I don't even know. You got a different haircut now. You got a kid. I ain't baby even know about. Popped up with a baby. I, and a I mean, shit. I, ain't, I, 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 ain't, I didn't even know you had a kid. So how the hell am I invite you? Keith did smooth pop up with a baby. He just popped up with a new baby and everything. I, I mean, like I get that. I get that. And the baby well, cute. Baby kind of look like you. I mean, so like I'm assuming it's your. Mar was Mar was shaving me a little bit, trying to trying to cast aspersions and, and whatnot. No I brought shade. the baby out. Mara was like, well, he must look like his mom. I'm like, what you trying to say? No, oh, this I, is Mara. What you saying? I said what that I saying? think he must look like his mother because he doesn't look like you. So there's only oh. one alternative. You hear that? Oh, shit. What's the that, alternative? There's no shade in that. He's what's adorable. The, well, what's the other alternative, though? There, but that's not an alternative. So that's why there's no shade. I was saying he must look like mom because he's adorable. Oh, the other alternative. You're saying Keith is not adorable. You're saying Keith doesn't have no, the looks. That's what I heard. Y'all, do y'all something trying like to get that. me that's all tied up. I was just trying to say the baby was cute and probably looked like his mother. No, like I see See, here's the thing, like, you know, Keith, I, I'm with you because Mara, like, you're a beautiful woman and I appreciate you having me on the show, or whatever. And you yeah, got a beautiful yeah. smile and everything. Here's the thing. I, I felt some kind of way because first thing, first thing she said is like, you know, you're a very lucky man. She's a very beautiful woman. Didn't say anything <laughs> about me. 
Like I'm just like I hit the. But, line. but you know like, what? I'll tell you why. Yep. I'll tell you why. Women, women have to. There is no way on God's green earth I could come on here talking about. Oh, she's so lucky because that would get turned into something completely different. So we're not going to do that. So you are a lucky man. Your wife is a gorgeous, classy turn, turn woman. Turn into something. We need more nope, streams. Nope, we're not doing all that. <laughs> we could all be on RHOA this time next year. Turn it into something. Yeah. I don't want to smoke with Cynthia. Let me tell you. I don't want to smoke with none of those housewives. This podcast. Right. That's I, I, what I love I, about Cynthia. Cynthia ain't gonna bring no drama. Cynthia is so secure in who she is, and now the fans, they different. Let me tell you, exactly. And I don't want whatever. What does she call her fans? Like whatever her beehive is, I don't want that. I don't want that smoke at all. It's all. Is, there, is there is there a name for Cynthia fans? Is there a word? If not, we are gonna create one right here tonight. That's gonna be uh, hashtag. You know, I don't know. I don't think she has a. You know, just you know, she just got. I don't know the the classies because she's very classy. She's she a very classy. classy. So if you're a fan of Cynthia Bailey, you're a classy person. To be quite honest with you, you you're one of the good ones out there. I mean, all the fans are good. Don't get me wrong. I don't want no smoke from the ratchet ass motherfuckers out there too. But at the same time, if you're a fan of Cynthia Bailey and you ride for Cynthia Bailey, you've been with her for the last 10, 11 years as long as she's been on the show. You're a very classy lady. I'll say it that way. Mr. You're a lady. So I appreciate. It. I am a very lucky man. I am. What's it what's it like uh being adjacent to this show this way? Right? Like what's what's the you know you're talking about the fans and the you know what's it what's it like for you know most of us aren't ever going to be reality show involved that way, right? We we've known plenty of people we live in this era um and also by the way to be part of the show but you ain't the star and it's not about you. Right? Like you know, what what does that look like and feel like? Well, first of all, when you know that you're not the star, that's the first uh, <laughs> big advice that I give anybody. If you come on the show and you ain't one of the ladies, don't try and become one of the stars because <laughs> it ain't your damn show. It's their show. So you there, you're basically on there for a supporting role or whatnot. Now, one thing I like about Cynthia is that Cynthia makes me feel very comfortable. She protects me. Uh, she looks out for me. She doesn't allow me to get in any of those issues. And I know from being on television for so many years that I'm not going to get involved in that type of situation. So I know how to moonwalk out of situations, if I see the drama coming up, I'm going the other way. I'm not gonna just let y'all handle that situation over there, those, that business and stay out of ladies' business. But at the same time, it's different because I have been on television for a long period of time doing sports and entertainment and all that type of stuff. But this is a totally different ball game. These people on this network and in this reality show realm and this genre, they do not play. It's a different ball game. Somebody tried to tell me that it's not sports. Keith, we we work together at ESPN. You know how it is. You know how sports mm -hmm. fans could be very fanatical mm -hmm. and whatnot. Reality show fans are a different level mm -hmm. of fanatics. They really are. I mean, like when you go on Instagram, you put a picture on Instagram, they zoom in to see if you at your... <laughs> they zoom in to so see if... If your teeth are yellow or not, I mean everything. They 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 scave everything that it is possible for them to basically look at when it comes to uh, their fans. So so I'm I'm glad you brought that up. We did work together at ESPN. I was a senior editor at the at the magazine and a commentator occasionally on uh, on on some on some sports and, and on sports business. While you while you while you low 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 humble brag low humble brag. Um, but I'm but I'm getting but I'm getting to a, to to a couple of points. Right, number one. I might be the only person who ever worked with both you and Mike Sterling, but wasn't on a but wasn't on a reality show because when I left ESPN, went to Atlanta, we were both in the administration in the city of Atlanta after after that point, and then y'all both turned turn up on the show, and I laughed. I was like, "That's that's weird and random." But to your to your point about the difference between sports media because sports fans are 
Like some of the things you, that, that you'll get attacked for, just your takes on sports. Sports fan, fans can, can get really crazy and really fanatical and really over, over the top. Um, and then politics has, has gotten into it, as, as we know, over the last couple of years. Um, but you're saying that being on this show, which doesn't have anything to do with your professional life as a, as a sports journalist, is above and beyond anything that you've ever experienced in terms of the fandom. Why do you think that is? Why, why are people so much more, um, I don't critical. know if it's aggressive or critical or whatever the, whatever the word is in, in reality TV than they are in, in sports? I don't, you know, they are really invested in their lives because this mm. is actually their lives. So you think about reality show, this is what they feel like these people are really like. So once they get involved or invested in somebody's life, it's almost like they feel like they're part of their lives. It's almost like they're one of their relatives or whatever. Uh, and it's different for me because like, like you mentioned, you know, being in sports, you know, giving my take on something was something I could control you know, something I would say. So if there was mm. ramifications for something that I would say to mm. go out on a limb, to make a, a strong take about something and having a strong opinion about something, I'm expecting that to come back. Now, uh, being on a reality show and being on the reality show in basically like a support role where you're not the star, sometimes you take on uh, the aggression, criticism, whatever you want to call it from a standpoint of, I'm just here, I ain't really doing anything but you still get criticized for it yeah. in a lot of ways. So it took a long time for me to kind of get used to that because I'm like, I'm just trying to love this woman. I'm just trying to be here and just be supportive of this woman. I don't want anything from him, but because of a lot of the history in the past and how, you know, some of the men have been treated or some of the men and their perception of how they came on and they, 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 you know, they, they, they uh, portrayed themselves or whatnot, you know, you kind of get thrown into that. So it's almost like a wait and see. Like, what's he about? Is he an mm -hmm. opportunist? Is he on here? We ain't never heard of him before, even though I've been on television for 20 for some years or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a little bit different. So it took some time to get used to, but now I, I, I've kind of figured out how to navigate it. How, how have they received you? Uh, they, they, I would say, here's the thing, Amari, and you understand this, anybody that's on social media, you understand that, you know, you can get, I can put a post up and I can get a thousand comments. And I can get 995 great comments. And the five comments that you get that are really negative or whatever, those are the ones you kind of notice. Mm -hmm. um, and even being in sports. And you those know, are the ones kinda, that get amplified. Those are the ones that get amplified because like, wow, all these people saying great things, but then wh who are these people over here? And why are they saying this? And I haven't done anything to you. I don't know anything about you. So even though I was kind of used to it and I had developed thick skin and luckily I had developed a thick skin because a lot of people couldn't handle it and they can't handle it or whatnot. It is different still to be criticized for something that, you know, you feel like you're doing right, especially when it comes to being in a relationship with somebody and trying to do it the right way as a man. Now, there are things I put out there for myself, you know, like with the book on open mic and, mm -hmm. you know, being transparent about my past, whatever that I knew was going to receive some flack or some, some pushback or whatever. I put that out there. I understand I could take that. But when you first get out there and you first come on, you know, Look, I have nothing against anybody who's, you know, uh, gay or, you know, not heterosexual, whatnot. Uh, but, you know, you, when you get called words like, he's, oh, he's gay, he, he's this and that, you know, and, or he, he's just trying to take her money and nobody's ever heard of him before. And, you know, who is this guy? And nobody's all that type of stuff. It, it, as a man, sometimes you, you see it 
And even though it's easy for me now to say, you know, just ignore it and you hear athletes doing it all the time and I know how to ignore it now and you develop mm. more of a thick skin. In the beginning, when you're not used to hearing those types of criticisms about you in the beginning, it is kind of hard to swallow. I'm like, where is this coming from? And why, what did I do to deserve this? I didn't do anything. I'm not even mm -hmm. arguing with this lady on the show. So it took a, a little time in the beginning for me to get past it. But you know, like I said, I'm here, I married her. And you know, as long as she loves me and as long as we care about each other, that's all that matters to me now. I want to get, I want to talk to, I want to talk about the book. Cause you brought, you brought up the book. The book is dope. Been reading it, haven't made it all the way through it. But, but you, I kind of started at the back of the book. And I started at the back of the book for, for a reason, because I wanted to go through, like I knew some of what happened at the end of your tenure at ESPN, but I didn't know all of it. Um, and we hadn't talked in, talked in a minute. Um, but you also, you, you talk about a couple of things. You talk about a lot of the things you went through as, as, as a child, and you're very, very transparent uh, about some of your struggles as, as a man and, and also about mental health. So I wanted to wanted to talk to you about that. And I wanted to share a little bit because you mentioned early in the show about leaving ESPN. And I related to a lot of what you said about how you felt um, in the way your tenure ended at ESPN, because it wasn't that that long before I before I left ESPN. Once that and I won't say left ESPN I, when I was let go from at, at ESPN. And for me, that came just a few months after my mom passed away. And so one of the reasons that I kind of disappeared and laid low and just went and did something else was mentally and emotionally, I wasn't well. I was not okay. I wasn't okay for a few years after that. Um, and had to take some time to myself and just be away from the Twitter and, and you know, lights and camera and you know name in the magazine and, and like all of that right um and so you've addressed a lot of that in that book so i just want to kind of talk about i want you to talk about you know any story any anecdote whether it's your your time at espn and how it ended whether it's the stuff you talked about from your childhood that really got to um what brought you to to the place of dealing with your mental and emotional health because i think there's a lot of brothers who struggle with some things that we both struggle with um, that don't know how to reach out and get the help that they that they need um, to move forward and to get back into a, into a good space. Well, I, I, I'm I'm happy that you when you brought up you said you know when you left ESPN and you can say no I I got let go from ESPN. It took me a long time to be able to say that. I mean, it took me it took me a minute to be because you become here's the thing about working at it at a at a place like that right. Um, you become. I was, I've been a journalist for, for 12, 15 years before I got to ESPN. And one of the things that happens at, happens at, a, at ESPN is like ESPN is this crazy, crazy bubble, right? Where like all of the, it's, it's a world unto itself if you, if you work in that, in that place. And so many people are trying to get there. So when you, so when you get there, like I was never, like that, that wasn't my goal. It just kind of happened. Like I had done enough that I got a call one day and was like, hey, are you interested in this? Because we like this about your about your experience. So I went, you know, having earned it. And we all know what it means in this business, like in this conversation, everybody here knows what it means that that for us to earn your way to 
ABC, ESPN, Washington Post, the Boston Globe, where I also worked in West and Westward, like like to, for us to earn it to get to a place, that means you're good. So for somebody to come along and then tell you, we don't think you you <laughs> like now we don't think now we don't think you're good. That's devastating because you because you know you've worked twice, if not three times, as hard. But it's a nod to the ego. And yeah. like you said, as black people, you know, just, just break it down. Let's just be real. Sometimes as people of color, you know, we know we have to work twice mm -hmm. as hard to get the same or equal or even a little bit less than equal than what our counterparts get. And the whole nine years I was at ESPN, it was, you know, it was good as beneficial, don't get me wrong, because it was a platform, but it was still frustrating. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm talking about because yeah. you know you're good. I know I'm good. I know Absolutely. what I do. And I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back, but I know I deserve to be at ESPN. I know I deserve to be at a network. I've been in a network, luckily, for the last 16, 17 years, and I got my own talk show. I'm good at what I do, you know? And then, so being there and knowing that you're good at what you're doing and you see other people moving up or moving around and navigating through uh, the network mm -hmm. a lot sooner than you or getting opportunities that, you don't necessarily say should be yours, but you feel like you deserve just as much as they do. And you're not given an opportunity like they're giving an opportunity. You might get a, get a chance, which is different from an opportunity. You know what I'm talking about? A mm -hmm. chance is like, oh, you can fill in here, but we ain't got no plans for you to really take on a right. basis. An opportunity is, hey, let's give him a slot. Let's see what happens for the next six months and see if he deserves this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's totally different. So all that time was frustrating. And then at the end, where I was already at a point where I was, what nobody knows about this was like, my contract was gonna be up in a year and a half right. before they made the mistake on my contract, right? right? Right. I wasn't gonna resign at ESPN. There was no way in the world, I was like, I would be jobless before I was gonna resign, sign another contract to ESPN. And the only reason I was there then was because of necessity out of trying to, you know, I still need to make money because I had family to take care mm -hmm. of. So to be let go, at that point, and like you said, it took me a long time to say, I've been fired. You know, it took me a long time to say that it was a blow to my ego. I'm like, I've done all this. I know I deserve better. And you're right. going to tell me I'm not good enough for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. So it took me a long time to get over that. But when I got to L.A., I got a job right away at Fox Sports 1, had a great contract, got a show, had my own show. Everything was rolling for me. But what I didn't realize, Keith, is that I still had trauma. I still mm -hmm. had hurt. Mm -hmm. I still had bitterness. I still had a lot of things that happened to me in my past that I had never addressed, you know, being fired and being fired and things I went through in Dallas and whatnot. So to answer your question, what I knew is I thought I was happy because I was telling myself I was happy. I was telling everybody I was happy. Oh, I was yeah. telling mm -hmm. my, hey, man, I got this great job. I'm living this life. What I'm making great money. I'm out here in L.A. I'm on Instagram. People see me living the best life. Oh, Mike, you're doing this. You're doing that. Right. And on the inside, I was dying. Mm -hmm. I was dying. So I will find myself in my hotel room when I was on the road with the Clippers or in my bedroom at night. And all of a sudden, I'm just crying uncontrollably. Like, mm -hmm. why am I crying? What's going on? And there was a voice that told me, Mike, you got to write. You got to write this book. So when I started writing this book, once I started writing it, it was almost like, I don't know what, it was like the cancer or whatever, all this hate, this trauma, depression, sadness, sorrow started coming out of me and I could not stop writing. It was almost like that became my therapy. And I wrote that book in like four months because mm -hmm. I couldn't stop. But it was like a weight lifted off my shoulder, man. So that's why I'm saying, one thing we don't address as black men 
we don't address our trauma. We suppress mm. it. We take it. We say that is our life. That's what you're supposed to deal with. Mm. We can't get emotional. We can't admit when we're hurt. We can't admit when somebody's done us wrong. We got to say, you know what, man, that's just life, man, man up. But when you continue to man up as black men, when we continue to do that and not go and address the issues that we need to address in our lives, it's going to be man down eventually. And if I would not have addressed those issues in my life by writing that book and then following up with the therapy, I probably wouldn't be here right now. And that's mm -hmm. word. That is bond right there. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that people are reading the book and they're getting a lot of it, a lot out of it. And the, the, the biggest compliment I can get is when somebody reads my book and they'll say, I'm going through what you're going through. I had no idea you were doing anything like that. And I think as public figures, as people who have a platform, it is imperative for us to basically come out and say, hey, you know what? I'm hurting today. Not just put mm. the great things on Instagram, but mm. I lost something that I really wish I had and, and it made me feel a certain way. I'm sad, I've gone through this. You have to put these testimonials out there because people need to know that they're not alone. Right, but part of the, part of the problem with that, one of the things that I, that I dealt with was, you know, you, you live a, a certain part of your life publicly. You accept that when you're in media, right? On any level, and especially when you get to some of the places that all of us here have, have worked, right? And these, these national entities and these national brands. And there's a, I, I, I truly believe that there's a certain part of your life that you need to live in private. There's a certain part of your catharsis that you need to do in private. I couldn't do, I couldn't do any of the catharsis that I needed to do for the loss of my mother in, in, in public. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Like I just, it just, it, it, it could, I, I remember being on a, being on a, just like getting on a plane and, and sitting on the tarmac and just bust out in tears. And like, you, and you can't do that if you're, you know, Keith Reed at ESPN or Wesley Lowry at, 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 you know, 60 minutes on Quibi. Like you can't, like, that's it. That's the thing. Or I guess maybe, maybe you can do it. And maybe that's part of the, part of the lesson of what, what you're saying is that some of that is things that you need to share, but then there's a, there, but there, there's a personal part of it that you need to like shield from the rest of that crazy world that you talked about with the people who attack you and the people who are fans and the people who didn't appreciate what you said about their team and the people who want to argue with you over a take or, you know, whatever. Like, I can't share my grief over my mother and my job loss and everything else with with with, with those people. I can't. I know. You know Not, what I mean? Here's, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I, that was my way of getting it off my chest. Mm. That was my therapy. Everybody's therapy could be different. different. You could talk to a best friend of yours that understands you, that is willing to listen to you and not mm. tell you, man, mm. you need to stop being emotional. Stop acting like a girl. You know, mm. stop being, you know, man up. You know, everything going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Put it in God's hands. You know, somebody mm. needs to listen. You need to tell it. So me putting it on paper was me basically letting it go. I had to let it go because it's inside of you. You know, it's almost like it is like I, I consider it cancer. I consider my book like my, my surgery. I had something mm. that was on the inside of me that I need to cut out. 
But I think mm-hmm. what's Once so I powerful is, is the fact that you guys are talking about it now. You yeah. know, however you had to go through that process, whether for you, Mike, it was writing the book, and for you, Keith, it was retreating from view a little bit so that you could deal with it privately. The fact is that you're talking about it now. Yeah. And that's something that men, maybe you talk about it amongst each other. I, I don't know. I'm not privy to those conversations, but I know with my brother, with my father, with my husband, those are conversations that men don't really have that often about their pain, we, about their think- we do. I don't think that we talk about it like like the the you know we laugh we joked about this at the in the early part of the conversation. But like, you know, here we are. It's been seven years since either one of us has been at ESPN, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And here we and here we are having this conversation. Two people who were, who who knew each other, who were who, you know who were, who were who were friends, you know, and we hadn't had this conversation never. But he was going was, through because you. <laughs> But right. I remember when your mom, I remember when your mom died and I remember sending my condolences yeah, and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And like, hey yeah. man, you need anything? I'm here for you or whatever. But it, I, I wasn't even at a point in my life where I should have just like checked on you. Just like, hey man, I know this is tough. I know this is hard. If you want to cry, cry. We, we, we as brothers, especially when I, I'm just talking mm-hmm. to black men and I'm, I know everybody needs counseling at one point or another because they 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 suffer through some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. But we as black men have to do a better job of letting it go but also letting us know and letting other people know that it's okay to let, mm-hmm. it, go. To let it go. That I am here for you to listen to you, man, cry, get it off your chest. And I'm not gonna think anything differently of you. I'm gonna think you more of a man because you have let this go. So whatever your catharticism is, whatever your, your therapy is, man, it has to happen because if not, that's killing you. It do, literally do you, is killing It's killing. And I, and I remember that and I appreciate you for reaching out to, to me when my mother, I was in pain, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was in, pain yo and i stayed in pain for months years it's just pain do you remember when 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 Stu scott passed away yeah of course of course you do of course you remember do you remember the flurry of text messages that started bouncing around but it was just like everybody who was <laughs> who worked at 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 the network at the time was like you know and who worked in sports and it, it just just there was that like that that day when the news came out when it when it when it hit there was you know ping, just just a ping of texts between you know a group of, a group of people all of us yeah about, about through all of us and I don't think I ever remember like I remember the condolences and the like can you believe it or whatever but I don't remember I don't know if I remember any anything that approached just the fullness of the of the loss and the sadness that that was there, like people were people were hurt, people were like deep deeply hurt, and I think that we we sort of expressed that we were hurt, but it was but but among but among men, I don't know if it was uh I don't know if the extent to which that pain like we were sharing our pain with with one another in this in these text messages in these in these chat group chats but i don't know if the extent of the pain of like this person who who had been just a, just an incomparable figure mm-hmm. a, 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 a man among men like it meant oh. something to all of us <laughs> in some kind of way. Stu gave me the courage to be the person I am on air because he mm-hmm. had already set the stage. Because he had already done level. it. 
and talking to me about his daughters, you know, we were big on, we had gone through a divorce around the same, all that type. So we had our own conversations or whatever. Uh, I wouldn't sit up here and say I was the closest to Stu, me and no, now we were colleagues, you know what I mean? Right. But at the same time to know his impact, to know that we had lost this great in our business mm -hmm. meant so much to us. And like you said, the, the string of texts among one another, it may have been like, hey man, have I told you I love you lately or whatnot, but the the loss of losing somebody like him and what it meant and you cry man dude i cried today man this hurts you know what i mean mm. to say that to be able to express those type of feelings you know i pray that one day you know mara wesley keith that we 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 can get to the point where we can actually say those words i'm hurting that hurts me you know what i mean i i i i, I thought i'd be able to get past this law i need to talk to somebody i need mm -hmm. to talk to you because we as men we feel like if we say that, and Wesley, you can attest to this, I'm pretty yeah. sure. We, when you say that, you know, you just, you, you, you feel like, okay, man, I, I'm, I'm bitching, I'm complaining. Nobody wants to hear me like this. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, well, and people, and you get worried about, it, or, or what also happens is you feel like you can bring it up once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, you have the one night where all right, Keith's <laughs> in his feelings because of his mom, or Wesley's going through a breakup. Right. And then the next time you're like, all right, but everyone already heard this, and like, mm -hmm. and then you start to feel, why am I still stuck up, caught up on this? Why mm -hmm. shouldn't shouldn't I have been able to process by now? Shouldn't I be able to move on? You you feel like you're stuck in place, and, and I think it's so important. I mean, this is something my closest group of friends and I talk about a lot. Uh, my closest group of guys um, about like, all right, how do we actually show up for each other in these ways? And make it normal for us to like, all right, we know someone through Sue's going through it. Let's check in. Let's talk. Let's uh, because it's difficult. It's just not what we're. It's not kind of how we all naturally relate necessarily. You know. But if you don't process it, if you don't process it, it's going to come out in other ways. Exactly. It's going to come out because it's going to affect you in some kind of way. It's like exactly. I always say, it's like water. You know, water will always find a way. Find you know, if, if mm -hmm. it'll always find a leak, it'll find a crack, it'll erode the foundation. Water will always always find a way and i feel like that's what our emotions are like you cannot mm -hmm. stuff them down you cannot repress them you cannot drink it away smoke it away eat it away sex it away none of that you have right. to go through it or it will yes. find a way to leak all over your life absolutely that's that's, that's a great way of saying it because if you don't and, and and when you realize that it's not just affecting you and you realize it's affecting people around you then mm. i think that's when a lot of people will say you know what man i'm, I'm hurting my daughters you know, you, you got a brand new son. I'm hurting my wife. You know, I'm hurting my mom. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, 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 not, I'm messing up at work because I can't yeah. get rid of it. Like I said, when you when we got let go of ESPN, it's like, I got let go. I'm like, I couldn't say I got fired. And I was like, they. I used to always say, I think for the first year, I was so mad and so bitter because I was like, for the first year, I like, I used to say, excuse my language. I said, they fucked up. They just, I said, they <laughs> fucked up my contract. I would say things like- Say any, any euphemism you could come up with, anything, anything, anything. Basically they did fuck up my contract. It was like, I was still, I had a year and a half left, but they let me go before, they thought they was firing me. You know, they still had to pay me and all that type of stuff, but that's neither here nor there. They let me go because they didn't feel like Mike Hill was good enough to be at that network at that particular time with what they already had. So that is the bottom, but it took me a long time to get to that point to admit that because mm -hmm. my ego, not only as a black man, but as a man period or as a person who has invested so much in my career, it took me a long time to get that. And, but once I got to that point, I can admit, man, I got fired. I've been fired here. I'm like, oh, I'm, I, man, that happened. Oh, this girl dumped me. Uh, I get, 
it's easy for me to realize that, man, because I know that's life. And I also know that other people have gone through. Well, that's the thing. When you lead by example in that way, you free other people. Because for someone to hear you say that, it takes the sting out of it, maybe, hopefully, when they have to say that. Or does somebody say, oh, man, I mean, it may happen to Mike Hill. He got fired, but look, he's, he's, you know, he's, doing, he's doing great now. He's, you know, he has moved on and moved up. Um, and so I really, really applaud you for, for leading by example in that way. And I feel so privileged um, to be listening in on this conversation. I really do feel like um, a little bit of an eavesdropper. I feel like this is a conversation that, you, you know, three, three black men should be having without me. But thank you for, um, for letting me in on that. So How instrumental was your wife? I guess then fiance in moving you to the point where you either had to go to therapy or write the book or both. Like how much, because I think, I think a lot of the thing, like we talk, we had, we had this whole conversation about like how we as black men had to, had to learn to move forward and, you know, coming to these revelations. The reality is I wouldn't have gone to the therapy and done the things that I, that I didn't need to do if it wasn't for my fiance. Like that would, that wouldn't happen. And, and, and it happened because she was like, listen, Look, mm. this this is what it is. <laughs> like you just got some shit with you that you got to that you going to have to deal with or not, but you know, if you if if like if this is going to be a thing, you going to have to you going to have to figure that out. See, that's why Keith is a chief editor, you know, cause he, he knew, I ain't never said this before, man. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you something. I ain't never told anybody before. So when I was writing the book, I was dating Cynthia. And if it wasn't for the book, we wouldn't be together. Now everybody mm -hmm. kind of knows that she wrote the foreword and all that type mm -hmm. of stuff because I was being transparent, revealing. So she felt like she had a blueprint of exactly who I was and the type of person I was. After writing the book, and I told you writing the book was like a surgery, but if you don't get aftercare after surgery, mm -hmm. you can get infected. And you still have things that you might have to address that you didn't address during surgery. So I felt like I wrote the book. I'm good. Everything is good. Now, I still need to go through therapy. So there was you know, things in our relationship that she basically said, Mike, you, you still, you're still wearing a mask. You're still not fully. You've taken part of the mask. You've taken the mask down, but you haven't taken the mask off. And there are things that you still need to address that if you don't address, this is not going to work. And so it wasn't necessarily an ultimatum, but it was more mm. so like a, like, wow, I, you know, I don't want to lose this woman and I don't want to lose my kids. And mm. I was also in, in, in a situation I was involved and I was spiraling, even though I had felt like I'd cleaned myself up and gotten rid of that and addressed all those things in the past. I wasn't addressing the present. And that's what people got to understand, you know, so you can address the past, but if you don't address the present and what's going to make you better in the future, mm -hmm. you're still going to go back to doing the same things you did before. So um, because of that, that's when I started going to therapy every week, man. And every Friday, I look forward to it because it is an integral part of my life. I, I look forward to going to talk to somebody every Friday it, because, and you know this, Keith, and I don't, I don't know if you go to the therapy, Wesley, or um, yeah, it's like, when you go in there, <laughs> yes. when you go in there, it's like some days you're like, I ain't got nothing to say. And you mm -hmm. end up saying the world, you get everything off you and you feel so much better. And like, I can truly say, remember the beginning of the, when we started talking, like when I first started writing the book and I was telling myself I was happy and putting on this was, I am truly at peace now. I am on a wavelength that is entirely different. So yeah, she had a, a huge, um, impact on me continuing my therapy because 
I want to get this stuff right, man. Uh, not mm. just in our marriage, but I want to get my life right. And I want to be the man that God intends me to be. So uh, I know that's part of what I need to do to become that man that God wants me to be. And Mike, you've also transitioned from sports to hosting. You're now at Fox Soul. How has that transition been? It's been a dream come true. I've always wanted to host my own talk show. And I think the transition is something that um, I've been waiting to do a long time. Like even when I was at ESPN, that's why I was saying I was going to sign another contract there because I felt like my time was running out when it came to sports. Mm. I felt like I needed to use my platforms for something bigger. I needed to use my, my voice, my reasoning and, and my takes for something bigger than just sports. And now, of course, I've been still at Fox Sports, still working there and whatnot. But to be able to transition, to be able to talk about things that are way more important, not only in our community, but in life, to try and make the world a better place to, to live in, to bring um, you know, uh, attention to issues that are important to not only me, but society and my people and whatnot, it's been a dream come true. So to be able to have a show with your name on it and to be able to do what you want to do and have that barbershop talk and you know just have a good time, but at the same time inform, it's it's God's will, and I'm so I'm grateful for it. I, I'm I just I'm so thankful for it, and I can't wait to see what what happens after this. So is that our invitation to be on the show? Is and that our one tell this crew? Oh, please, we definitely, <laughs> I definitely have to have you guys on. Absolutely, I'm gonna tell you right now. We we I I I don't know if you've ever seen the show before, but I'm Mike, and my co-host is Donnie. Donnie mm -hmm. is the realest dude you've ever met in your life. He is a certified like original when i say gangster he is a true gangster like he ain't never done television before it's first time doing television he did a couple of reality shows uh but he's raw and mm. I, I don't even I, I, i'm not saying i'm not snitching on him former drug dealer <laughs> you know what i'm saying gangs all that type of stuff but his opinion is so sometimes it's on point i had to reel him in but we reel each other and it's almost like an odd couple. And I consider myself, a, you know, I, I can speak to the streets. I can speak to President Obama if I need to. But at the same time, this dude right here, mm. well, but at the same time, got a mindset, a sense uh, about himself that it's like, I learned something from Donnie as well. So it's a, a good yin and yang and it's a, it's a lot of fun. And uh, we're, we're enjoying each other now. We didn't like each other at first. Mm -hmm. I, I can say that too. <laughs> But we so we how did that even come about, man? How did how did you get how did you get paired with him? If y'all if y'all because one of the things about doing a show like this is the chemistry. Like we we had to go through a process before we started this, this show, which was with, which started with with Mara's idea, and then we went through a process like okay, let's figure out who has the chemistry to to actually do this thing. So like chemistry in this business is is important. If you don't if you don't have it, if there's bad tension. Usually it doesn't work. So how did y'all figure that out? And it almost didn't work because like I said, we're so in a way different, even though I grew up in a certain neighborhood, was mm. in the hood, he grew up in the streets, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to elevate to a level. I'm like, I'm trying to I'm gonna be real cerebral and I'm gonna bring people information. And I'm like, okay, is he on that level? Is he there? So I looked at him a certain way. He looked at me a certain way. And it was just, it wasn't good in the beginning because I would speak and he wouldn't listen. He would speak, I wouldn't listen or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's a guy named James DeBose, who's the executive producer of Fox Soul. And he brought everybody, he said, you know what? I know what you bring with your experience in television. I know who he is, whatever, because he's one of my best friends. I think you guys be a, a good match. Mm -hmm. And eventually after we talked some things out, because we had to have a conversation, we had to have that real conversation, basically say, man, look, you know, I don't like you, you don't like me. Uh, we got off to a bad start or whatever, but here's the situation. You know, 
this is for the show. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And then once we started talking and communicating as black men, once again, we realized we had more in common than we, we thought, but it was egos that was getting involved. So to answer your question, I don't know why James put us <coughs> together in the first place, but I'm happy he did because even my wife and my mom used to tell me in the beginning, it's like, y'all gonna end up being best friends. And I can say without a doubt, man, that Donnie Harrell is one of my boys now. And I would do anything for this guy. I mean, in the beginning, like I said, we was gonna kill each other. And I, I can say that because he knows he can say the same thing. But right now it's like, that is my guy. As a matter of fact, uh, Christmas, we're going on vacation together. So nice. that's the type of person that he is, man. I, I, I couldn't be happier with the person I'm, I'm paired up with. That's dope. Such a powerful example. You really are. And, and I appreciate you being so candid um, with your story. Where can people find the book and where can they see your show? Open Mic is uh, Open Mic, the book right here. Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, Target, anywhere books are sold or whatnot. And uh, hopefully you'll continue to support that. And watch Fox Soul on Foxhole.tv. It's an app, streaming devices, uh, also on YouTube and you, uh, Tubi and all those other different places that I don't know about. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. I well, really yeah, thanks appreciate for being it. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. You. Appreciate, appreciate it. you guys. It was fun. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Run Tell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.